Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. On the 24th of February 2022, the Britain-Israel All-Party Parliamentary Group, or APPG, is launching a new report on accelerating UK-Israel research collaboration. With me to discuss that report is Dr. Matthew Godwin. Dr. Godwin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Gavin. My pleasure. So, why did the APPG launch this piece of work? And, and I guess more generally, how would you describe the current UK-Israel collaboration in research? Yeah, I mean, there were a number of impetuses really for the project. The first, um, we launched a report effectively this time last year on UK-Israel health technology collaboration and similarly recommending a, a kind of new way to accelerate collaboration and particular in respect of health technology. But while we were going through the research process of the report, it just became very clear how much of uh, technology when it came to health and medical science was emerging initially from the university sector in both countries. We weren't able to come to a sort of hard statistic as to how much was being spun off from universities and how much was just sort of emerging organically from the business of private sector, but a, a really large substantive amount of it was coming out of universities. And we, we thought from, from that basis, certainly, there's got to be more to explore when it comes to the, the research landscape between the two countries. The second aspect of it, the second impetus is sort of maybe tell by my accent, I'm not totally native to, to this country. I'm originally Canadian and I had to a similar hat in the Canadian context where I was looking at uh, Canadian-Israeli collaboration between universities in both countries. And, you know, there was a lot of interesting outcomes from that. Uh, I think a lot of interesting parallels with this country. And that prompted me to, to think about looking at the, the landscape bilaterally between the UK and Israel. Because we've always known that there's been collaboration. There's always been a number of mechanisms going all the way back to the Anglo-Israel Association in the 1940s that have been supporting collaboration, but no one's really set to work to try and understand the whole landscape of it, both from a kind of government mechanism standpoint, philanthropic, etc. So that I thought, I thought, you know, this is an interesting time for that. And the third thing is really with respect to this being kind of a good window of opportunity for a number of reasons. The, the relationship between Israel and the UK at the moment is very positive. I mean, COVID notwithstanding, the trade relationship has never been better. I think it's fair to say there's a lot of diplomatic and political warmth really between the two countries. We had uh, the Israeli President Isaac Herzog was here last year for a visit. Uh, I know that uh, Yair Lapid, the foreign minister, was here late last year. Uh, the prime minister was here. And I, I think the UK's trade minister, uh, Anne-Marie Trevelyan, was recently in, in Israel. And they've actually launched a consultation on UK-Israel trade relations. So there's, there's lots happening from a diplomatic and political standpoint, lots of goodwill. But as always, it's about how do you sort of translate that goodwill into good policy and into good practice? How do you really take advantage of maybe some of the enthusiasm and the motivations? And the last thing, if I may, the last thing that I'll say, that there have been a number of reports in the UK context, you know, post-Brexit or otherwise, and I think the integrated review last year mentioned this as well. There's just got to be a bigger focus from a British perspective on accelerating research collaboration abroad. And we discussed briefly before we came on the podcast, it's... We've always had a strong relationship, of course, with the EU. We've got a, a very strong relationship with the US. But in the course of my interviews, so many people that I spoke to said, you know, there's a whole other sphere of countries out there, whether it's Singapore, Australia, Canada, et cetera, that we could really be doing a lot more with. And Israel is, is on the top of that list. So a whole bunch of reasons, I think, why this is a good time for the report. So that makes sense why the report was commissioned. 
tell me a little bit what you found. What are your conclusions and recommendations? So when we were doing the research for the report, I mean, what, what came across was a significant amount of interest from, especially from the Israeli standpoint, when it came to pursuing research in the UK, especially from a postdoctoral and sort of early career standpoint. And one of the, you know, the, the early barriers that we found was that the resources that are accessible to those researchers are very limited in the sense that there are lots of opportunities, I suppose, for more advanced researchers to sort of jointly apply for grants, whether it's through the FIC or whether it's through a Horizon channel or something like that. But especially for early career scholars, it's tough. And Israeli scholars in particular, because they do an army service, they're a bit older. And so they often have dependents which means having a sort of one-off or piecemeal funding package just doesn't work for them. They've got to have something a lot more stable. They've got to have something that gives them the opportunity to, to sort of get stuck in for more than six months, for a year, for two years, for three years, especially, of course, in science and technology disciplines where, you know, it's, you need more than just a couple of weeks in a library, basically. So there was a strong desire and, and a lack of, I suppose, resources, first of all. Second of all, the interesting thing, and, you know, we'll come to this perhaps when we discuss in, in more detail on student mobility, when it comes to sort of from an undergraduate perspective, there are opportunities, especially go, going in the other direction when it comes to British students having opportunities to study in Israel. And I, I found this also in Canada is that there's not always as much uptake as you would think. And I think that has to do as much with awareness and branding of the strength of Israeli universities and maybe not having the pull that they really deserve, especially when it comes to the STEM subjects, given how strong Israeli scholarship is, and also, you know, an entrepreneurship, etc. So, you know, a number of different barriers that were, were, were sort of pointed out in, in the process of doing the research, as well as this huge pent-up potential. I mean, we looked at this sort of citation impact uh, individually, and then we looked at it together. When you've got an Israeli and a British researcher publishing together, it's three times the amount of impact when it comes to uh, citations for their research. I mean, it's an enormous scale-up, really, for scholars when they're collaborating together. And we know British and Israeli scholars are, are highly collaborative. And more than 50% of publications, isn't it, from the UK are, are now featuring an international collaborator. Very similar with Israel. It's a very global perspective that Israeli uh, scholars take for a variety of reasons, same as here. So lots of potential, lots of demand, and I think certainly a need to, to scale it up and to accelerate those relationships. When it comes to the recommendations, which I can speak to if you like. So give us an introduction to the yeah. first one, and then we can maybe tease out a little bit how that would work in practice. So basically, in the course of the research, it's, it's funny because you start doing this type of research and you think, there's got to be other models out there. That's the first thing you do in public policy research is understand who's done it, whether it's worked, how it's worked, and how this context is different. I didn't come across a lot of similar mechanisms like the one that's being proposed in this report. And then the basis for the mechanism that's being proposed, uh, the Britain-Israel Research and Innovation Framework, is based off of a model that exists between Israel and the U.S., a model that's been in place since the early 1970s uh, called the Binational Science Foundation. I think I'm getting that right. Founded in 1972, it's funded $700 million worth of grants, over 5,400 projects between U.S. and Israel, an extraordinarily successful model. It's a peer-reviewed model. It's multidisciplinary. Uh, it's permanent. 
A similar arrangement has existed between the Israel and Germany called the German-Israel Foundation for Scientific Research and Development. I don't think it's quite as old, but it's certainly a few decades old. Very similar idea, permanent multi multidisciplinary mechanism. I think the German and Israel one might be legislated to some extent, but in any case, it's, it's grounded in, in a longstanding framework between these countries. And for me, it's no surprise that Israel's top two collaborators, or two of their top collaborators are, are Germany and the US, because you've got this funding framework that underpins this research. And so that's really the model that we've looked at when we proposed the framework for uh, the UK and Israel. And there's, I think, a few things that we're, we're hoping to achieve. First is, I mentioned the challenges facing particularly postdoctoral candidates. So there, there'd be a real focus on supporting early career postdoctoral researchers in both countries. And then there's a, a scheme where you've got sort of three, three different types of grants, a sort of convening grant uh, where you're trying to you know, support uh, researchers to come together in a conference, workshop, et cetera. You've got sort of exploratory grants, which is to say, you know, even earlier stage, just travel grants. You come across a particular scholar, you've been put in touch, and you just need to pay for a flight one way or the other and a few nights in a hotel to have conversations about where to take things further. And the third is sort of more advanced where you're looking at project-based grants. And then you've got what we're calling sort of get the, the spark and, and then bring it back, which is a sort of business and entrepreneurship-focused scheme primarily oriented more towards undergraduates. But the idea is to use this to help enhance the brand of Israeli universities with a story that's very strong. We all know the Startup Nation story about Israel, but it's not always connected to universities. And I think that there'll be a lot of interest amongst entrepreneurially minded British students to study at some of Israel's universities because they're so deeply embedded within the entrepreneurship and uh, innovation ecosystems in the country. So those are the two kind of overarching frameworks or schemes that we're looking to, to propose. So one of the interesting things, of course, is that no country starts with a blank sheet of paper and creates its funding mechanisms. It starts from wherever it is. So yeah. thinking about the UK funding system that we have at the moment with funds, uh, at least from the science budget flowing through Bayes to UKRI and down to the research councils and so on, how would this model interact with the kind of the UKRI system? I mean, I think it's certainly worth stating that UKRI does a fantastic job in enhancing and accelerating international collaboration, whether it's through the, the FIC or through opening up PhD funding opportunities through UKRI. And the report is very careful not to recommend any particular anchoring entity in either country, whether it's, you know, UKRI here or the, uh, the Israel Science Foundation or the Israel Innovation Authority in Israel, you know, just because I think these are decisions and conversations that really have, should happen between governments. But certainly from my perspective, obviously, UKRI would have to be, you know, a critical entity and a principal element of, of whatever emerges and whatever entity is anchored from the UK context. It's really, for me, it's really about the gap, which is to say, it's so tough for early career scholars, I think, to, to get plugged into these big research projects and these big research grants that come from UKRI or come from Horizon. And that's one of the things that came from some of the conversations was that these smaller funds that I think we're, we're looking to target through this particular framework would then lead to these larger fund, funding opportunities where they've already got an established relationship with a collaborator in Israel. It's very convincing, I would think, 
you know, you can see two scholars that uh, complete a project through this particular framework. And then moving on to maybe a larger, a more ambitious, perhaps, opportunity with UKRI. And uh, you, could, you can think of it almost as like a feeder system, basically, into these, these larger, more established funds, if that makes sense. No, that does make sense. I guess that my next question is, because the report also shies away slightly from this, and I can understand why, but how much money would it take to have the kind of effect that you're talking about? How much, how big should this new sort of research program be? The interesting thing is that I think it was as of, it might've been as of last year, but the top country, the top target country for, you know, post, post-secondary education, you know, research innovation leaders and observers in Israel is the UK. I think the ground is very well trodden when it comes to the US and uh, the ground is very well trodden in respect of many of the other European partners um, that Israel has, but Israel recognizes the significant potential that there is for acceleration of research between the UK and Israel. And as a consequence, you know, they've they've put forward effectively a package of funding that they're willing to use to undergird a new relationship of some fashion between the UK and Israel. Whether it looks like this framework, whether it looks like something else, there's certainly a significant interest to scale that up. And, and you know, they've put resources on the table. I think it's over 10 million US dollars. And something like that with a match from the UK, you can imagine being significant enough to fund, you know, one, two, three year program funding for uh, competitions with respect to the postdoctoral aspect, as well as some of the other funding schemes that I mentioned. And then you go from there, basically, and then you discuss scaling it from there. I mean, you look at the uptake, you look at the, the interest, and if, you know, at the end of every year, you've got a half dozen other projects that are extremely good quality and, and you just don't have the funds there, then I, I think you can always imagine expanding that. But I think those are the types of numbers that you're talking about, which aren't huge numbers, by the way. I mean, this is not enormous when it comes to research and innovation funding, but it might be enough to at least get the ball rolling with, with a new framework and a new channel to explore. Well, let's move away from the research and the funding for a moment, because I want to talk about student mobility, which is one of the other things that you were talking about earlier. And obviously, from the UK's perspective, uh, as we've left the EU, we've left the Erasmus programme, we're introducing the new Turing programme. It's clear that the UK wants to increase student bilateral exchange with many countries, including Israel. But it's also clear that it's quite difficult to do to encourage students and and British students aren't the best known for traveling overseas at all. So I'm just wondering, how do we actually do this in practice? How do we encourage more students from Britain to go to Israel? And of course, the reverse. It's very important because, I mean, when we think about student mobility in my mind, and I think in the minds of others, it's you're, you're focused very much almost sort of on the undergraduate or maybe master's level. And then you, the conversation is almost a different one when it comes to the sort of postdoctoral, you know, PhD, postdoctoral, early career research. When it comes to the undergraduate research perspective, you know, regrettably, I think it was in 2017 that there was a 32% drop in the number of Israelis studying in in the UK. And as you mentioned, there's a lot of challenges with reference to British students traveling to Israel, as I I was saying earlier in the program, that there there are existing funds, um, many of which are philanthropic, that are there to support exchange. Some of it's very successful, but in many cases, there isn't the type of, of uptake that you would like to see, really, given the opportunity 
that's there. And I think one of the ways of doing this is to convey to students, it's not always about selling the country. There's lots of great reasons to study in Israel. You know, some of the top universities in the world, you know, concentration of, you know, Nobel Prize winners and, you know, leading scholars and, and leading uh, researchers from, from everywhere in the world, leading hospitals, etc. Yeah, it's, it's about conveying the disciplinary relevance and strength within a particular almost a cohort of students, which is to say, it's not just about come to Israel, it's about speaking potentially to commerce students, business students, uh, entrepreneurially minded students, as I was saying earlier, and making the case for why Israel in particular is a good place to study in reference to your ambition as a student. And so that, that is where the Get the Spark uh, idea comes from, is to try and embed uh, you know, British students in some of the really exciting incubators and accelerators that are based out of uh, Israeli universities, which quite naturally have organic ties to the country's innovation ecosystem in general. And you can imagine all sorts of possibilities when it comes to working together to, to create companies, et cetera. And so it's really playing on the, the strength of the startup nation narrative, but conveying it in a way that connects it to universities and connects it to university students. I think that's more convincing than, you know, I'm just trying to think back to my undergrad days and, you know, three months study trip to Israel. You've got to say three months studies with the world's leading entrepreneurs and then conveying that narrative in other disciplinary settings, whether it's in cybersecurity, whether it's in health technology, whether it's in financial technology, AI, agricultural science, water security, all the things that Israel's known for and making that case stronger. I agree with what you say. It is quite difficult to get the kind of student mobility from the UK uh, to many countries, uh, and it will be interesting to see how this pans out over mm-hmm. time. If, if I may, Gavin, just you know, when I was speaking recently with a friend who's of an older generation, and, and we were discussing how so many people will talk about the time that they spent on a kibbutz. You know, you talk to people from every different background, whether they're Jewish or not, not Jewish, and there's so many people that talk about these, you know, two, three months uh, experiences that they had in Israel back in what, the 60s or 70s or something like that about being on a kibbutz. I think even Boris Johnson made reference to something along these lines not too long ago. And, you know, I think it's about creating a modern appeal for Israel in a way that's the, the way the kibbutz movement did back in, you know, a few decades ago, if you see what I'm saying, it's about creating this kind of trendy, it's interesting, Israel's doing something new, it's doing something different that you can't get in the UK and innovation is, is a really interesting culture. It's not just a mechanism or institutions, it's a total culture that exists within the country. And I think that there's a strong appeal there, I think, and it's about conveying that to, to students. Let me ask you a little bit about some of the wider politics. Do you see possibilities, for example, for new multinational collaborations between the UK, Israel, and some of the countries in the Middle East and North Africa with whom Israel's recently established new diplomatic ties? It's very exciting, isn't it? I mean, to be honest with you, I've been working on these issues in one respect or another for, for many, many years. And, you know, the idea that we would be talking about having a, a joint you know, collaboration, uh, uh, multinational collaboration with countries like Bahrain and the UAE and Morocco and Sudan is just extraordinary, isn't it? And there's a lot of talk about, you know, the trade relationship, the blossoming trade relationship and the diplomatic relationship uh, and the security relationship, of course, uh, between Israel and the other Abraham Accord countries. But there's a great story 
you know, I think needs to be told to a greater extent when it comes to university collaborations. I mean, Barolan just uh, signed an agreement with the UAE's Gulf Medical University. I think there's a collaboration between the Casablanca School of Business with Tel Aviv University, and then you've got, you know, agreements with Hebrew University and uh, the Moroccan uh, Mohammed VI Polytechnic University, I think it is, agreements with Ben-Gurion University and their counterparts. It's, it's extraordinary how this is unfolding. Universities are playing a leading role. And part of the reason they're playing a leading role isn't just because there's a lot of you know, fintech and health tech research is going on in the Gulf and some really exciting stuff as well in Morocco, but it's this idea of the warm peace, which is to say it can't just be peace between politicians. It's got to be peace between people as well. You got to, from all different sectors and from all different walks of life, you got to try and bring together people you know, as often as you can especially in areas of interest where there's areas for potential collaboration. And I think that's where a lot of these agreements are coming from. So the excitement, I don't think, between these countries hasn't died down in the last uh, couple of years, year and a half, isn't it, that uh, the accords were announced. When it comes to the UK, I think the UK is in a very, very good position to become a part of these emerging relationships. The UK has always had a very strong relationship with many of these countries, whether it's the Gulf countries, uh, or whether it's, uh, you know, Morocco and Sudan. And then, of course, with Israel, the, the UK is a sort of natural partner. And I think in many ways, because of the UK's global strength and prestige in its university sector, could become a real convening force, I think, in accelerating some of these university-based collaborations that are emerging between the Abraham Accord countries. I mean, you can absolutely see their multilateral uh, agreements that are taking shape in which the UK and UK institutions feature. I mean, whether or not you know, the, the framework that we're proposing could be considered as a, you know, an extension to other, other states, I'm sure that's all up for, up for discussion as time, as time goes on. I mean, it, it's not too ambitious to, to think about uh, something like that along the lines, but you also don't want to put the cart before the horse. Let's you know, focus on the, on the Israel-UK aspect of it and then, and then take the conversation uh, further from there. I guess a possible flip side to what we've just been talking about is the, the sort of lack of a clear diplomatic settlement between Israel and the Palestinian territories. And I wonder, does that inhibit the possibility for sort of UK-Israel science collaboration in any way? I don't think it inhibits it, no, but I do think it is an important consideration because, you know, one, one of the great champions of, of this work is Lord Winston, uh, Robert Winston, uh, UK-Israel Science Council, looked over the report in detail and, you know, we had to emphasize more how research and education can help support people-to-people dialogue and exchange, basically. He said, you know, none of us have any influence over the Israeli government's decision-making, the Palestinian leadership's decision-making, you know, the U.S., the quartet, et cetera. So what we can influence is helping to bring people together on issues of mutual concern. And education and research is one of those, one of those aspects. And I think, you know, there are programs that the U.K. supports and there are programs that Israel supports to help bring Palestinians and Israelis together, bring Israelis and Palestinians and British youth together. And I, I certainly would see a role for that type of work in respect of you know, this framework and other, and other aspects. One of the anecdotes that I love to tell is in, on a previous visit to Israel, I was at the Hebrew University in one of their medical research facilities and just getting a general tour of what they were up to. We walked into this one lab, and in, in the lab you had an you know ultra orthodox young man, uh, quite observably Muslim young woman, an observably secular 
Israeli woman. I have no idea what her background is, but they were just getting on with it. They were getting on with research. They were getting on with their interests. They were getting on with problem solving beyond the, the politics. And I think that's what we need to see more of. And I think enhancing support for international collaboration and research is precisely the, that's the kind of outcome we can think of when it comes to peace and reconciliation with respect to funding uh, a collaboration. I think those are the stories that uh, we could tell. I think that's what we can do. When it comes to the Israel-Palestine issue, that's what we can do. Well, taking everything that we've just talked about, taking the report, my final question is, what would you like to see the UK government to do now with your report to take forward some of these recommendations? As I mentioned at the beginning of the call, it's, I can't remember if it, how long the consultation is going on for, but it was a week or two ago that the UK government did announce that there's a bilateral consultation uh, taking place with respect to the trade relationship towards you know, expanding and accelerating the trade relationship. I think it would be really, really helpful if this report and other interventions with respect to science and innovation and research collaboration are being considered in parallel with these trade conversations, both because for me and for Israelis, the Israeli mindset is there's no distinction between trade, business, university, basic research, applied research. I mean, they, they do distinguish programmatically between basic research and applied research, but the idea that there's some sort of imaginary dividing line between trade and, and university research, is just, it's foreign to them. And so as a consequence, I do think there's a place for a discussion around expanding research and innovation collaboration alongside the trade relationship and making it integral to it, really. Um, so I'm, I'm really hoping that uh, this report fosters a bit of dialogue around these issues as we discuss a, an enhanced uh, trade relationship. And this is absolutely t the time, as I mentioned before. I mean, the, the opportunity is there and the need is there for the UK as well as for Israel. Well, let's see if any of that happens and let's see how the report lands. But that's all we have time for today. Dr. Matthew Godwin, thank you very much. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much, Gavin. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This week, my guest was Dr. Matthew Godwin, and we've been talking about the Britain-Israel All-Party Parliamentary Group report on accelerating UK-Israel research collaboration, which was published on the 24th of February 2022. You can find more information about the work of the Foundation on our website at www.foundation.org.uk, where you'll find details about our events, all our blogs, and all previous editions of this podcast. Until next time, goodbye.